Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We are smack dab in the middle of the NHL draft and the NHL's free agent window. It is, it's an exciting time to be a fan of the Maple Leafs, and it's also an exciting time to be hosting a Maple Leafs podcast. we got a lot to chat about, Mike, but first, what's going on? Not too much, man. It's been a while since we've done podcast stuff, which is fun. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, I'm surprised the draft... Uh, we're recording this on, you know, on a, I think it's Thursday today, and I'm surprised the draft was over by the time we able we were able to hit record. That was the longest experience in my entire life. I was a little concerned that the Maple Leafs were going to trade back into the seventh round oh. in time and and just completely ruin my night. That was, you know, already very interrupted by the longest draft in history. Shout out to Adnan Burke, Yahoo Sports employee, yeah, for uh, st- for sticking it through uh, what was. That was a lengthy broadcast. It didn't have to be that way, but it was for whatever reason. No, it was, it was absolutely insane. Like it, it, at one point, Sportsnet cut away um, from like, – it, it freaked me out because at one point in like the fourth round, Sportsnet had to cut away because they, were all, they had to air an MLB playoff game and everyone was freaking out. But, yeah, it was, it was just insane. It was six – what, six, six and a half hours, seven and a half hours – uh, I thought, you know, it would be great. I'll get some writing done. Uh, the draft will be over, and then I can kind of launch into something. Nope, didn't, didn't work out that way. But, uh, no, here, here we are. It, it, was, it was an exciting, rip-roaring kind of day. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to talk about. And it was so weird because they actually, like, stopped for commercial breaks. Like, why? I, I know. I that don't was... get that at all. Like, they would actually take three minutes off oh, to cater God. to commercial breaks. Like, this was round one of the NFL draft, and you needed – like all the pomp and circumstance imaginable uh, when there wasn't anything but, you know, three guys on a panel talking about each pick and doing the best they could. I think they did a hell of a job, but uh, it didn't really make sense to actually stop the draft for commercial break. No, absolutely not. It was insane. And, and why do you need five minutes in between every pick from, I would say, the third round on? Like if you're really, I know that they eventually start to roll in, but some teams were taking the entire allotment of time for like the 170th pick or something. I'm like, guys, come on. Like at this point, if you don't know who you're picking in, the, in, these, in, in these kind of spots, then you haven't done your homework. Like you need, this is, it, it's ridiculous. And to the point, like there's that very famous picture of Nik, um, Nikola Jokic getting drafted in like 45th overall in the second round of the um, NBA draft during a commercial break for the Taco Bell Quesarito that j- was just released. And think about how awesome it would be if they just kept going, but had that little ticker at the bottom. And so the next potential, you know, Jamie Ben was drafted in the fifth round. Uh, you know, all these, there's so many, Pavel Datsuk was like a set, sixth or seventh round pick. Imagine how cool the, the, we would have those, uh, those little images be of 
I don't know, the, ne the next uh, uh, Detroit Red Wings star, or the next Tampa Bay Lightning star uh, getting drafted while, uh, while a commercial for hot and ready delivery from Little Caesars is playing. Like, it, it would have been, been great, but instead we had to wait and wait and wait, and finally, at about midnight, everything was over. And after midnight, the Leafs were left with 12 selections in the 2020 draft. They entered with 11 picks. They did some trading up. They did some trading down. They traded back into the seventh round, as I mentioned earlier. They made 12 selections. Uh, and they had some pretty clear strategy. I mean, they, they started off the draft with only, or pretty much exclusively taking players that haven't had their seasons impacted by COVID-19. Mm -hmm. That means guys from Russia. That meant guys from Finland. And then they opened it up a little bit in the latter stages. I think they had six picks or six or seven picks in the last two rounds. And they started, started just, you know, going off the board a little bit and taking guys that might have, you know, really high upside or just potential lottery tickets. Uh, but we're going to focus on the guys who were taken in the first four or four. five rounds yeah. uh, because I think that's who, you know, uh, obviously, I mean, Kyle Dubas basically said that they are just home run swinging. Yeah when they get to the draft floor. That's all they're trying to do. So there could be a guy in the sixth round who makes, you know, an impact with the Leafs. But we're going we're gonna to focus on the first four, five, six selections, I guess, from those first few rounds. And it starts with their number one overall selection, the end or the final piece of the return for Kasperi Kapanen. Mm -hmm. And they spent that 15th overall pick on Rodian Amarov. Uh, any hot takes on Amarov? Have you seen even a shift of Amarov before, uh, I guess? I guess it was Tuesday night's draft. Not before, but after he was drafted, the number one clip that was circulating around the internet was him pulling off the Michigan move. Yes. And if anyone can, and I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of anyone who can pull off the Michigan move. Great for him. Um, no, I, I really like this pick. It, it's weird that the Leafs have essentially doubled down and tripled down and quadrupled down and quintupled down, et cetera, et cetera, on Dan Milstein clients because this is another Dan Milstein client. And then they picked another Dan Milstein client yeah. after this. And before. It, it's crazy. But from, so I was, I was watching the draft with former uh, New Jersey staffer, um, Rachel Dory. She's working front offices. She's a scout. And she was over the moon about this pick. She okay. was, it, the fact that this guy was still here, he was a top 10 talent kind of, they said. And he has a lot of comparables to Kucherov, which is like, he's a dynamic guy. He's got a great shot. And Look, he's, he's playing in the KHL this year, and the KHL is notoriously – like, everyone was pointing at, specifically, uh, Carlo Koliak, we'll have to just name names here, mm. is pointing at his stat line of the two points and I think it was 27 games or something right. last year, being like, really? We're going to draft whatever? First of all, uh, teenagers in the KHL, they barely ever play at all, and when they do, they're on the fourth line and they get, like, one shift, so you, those are really misleading stat lines. And also, this guy, he's still a teenager. He's 19. And he already has five points in 10 games as a teenager in the KHL. He's clearly making a move and he's playing against professional players in what is probably the second best league in the world. I'm, I'm really high on this pick. I love it. I would have loved, I was really, I really wanted Seth Jarvis. I really like he was taken by, and it was a running joke throughout the rest of the day that the hurricanes were essentially just cause they were always picking like two spots ahead of the Leafs. They were always going to, going to just snag whoever the Leafs wanted right before and they, they did that with the pick that was the Leafs for Patrick Marlowe. So when Seth Jarvis turns into a star, we're all going to be able to, to, you know, bemoan that. But I think Amarov was a great pick that they were, that they were able to get that fell. And uh, look, he's not going to be – he's not he – also his – okay, so his, his contract as well expires at the end of 2021, which means that him coming over sooner is a bit more of a possibility. And the fact that he's been playing against grown men so long might actually mean that he's able – and capable to play in, at a professional level earlier than maybe another 
draft draft prospect would be from you know the OHL or someone like that. So yeah, I'm really high on this pick. I think he fits a timeline really well. I think he fits a um, like what they need offensively. And if, if he can even come close to his comparable of Kucherov, then man, sign me up. Yeah, I think uh, like ten years ago, I would have seen. I probably would have seen this exactly like Koliakovo, and that's yeah. not meant to be a slight against Koliakovo. But it's but not I think ten years ago. It's exactly. Today. I mean, the absence of eye-catching numbers. I think it does, you know, affect the fan in a certain way. And that's, you know, that's not an extraordinary thing, obviously, to have only two assists in, in a single season. But this is also a player who doesn't have single extraordinary attributes. This is just a solid offensive player mm-hmm. who they believe can grow into something much more than he really is. Now, that's a bit of a gamble at number 15, because there's obviously some players that maybe were more, you, you knew exactly where they were heading with their career. It might not have the ceiling as Amarov, but you at least know a little bit more of what you're getting. But I think uh, the Leafs have confidence in their process and it goes all the way, like, this is what they do. They have this identity. They have this foundation, this talent base that they want to just continue feeding and feeding and feeding. This is the type of player that they want. And I don't think they, they thought twice about taking him because he was highest on their board. I, I do think there's, it makes sense that it seems like they were waiting to the last possible second. And in fact, they did to actually make that, uh, selection because uh Gary Bettman came on and I thought they were actually going to take the pick from them because they hadn't submitted their draft selection yet um but this was not a guy that everybody else was eager to take it seemed and that's okay but it also feeds into this sort of complex that Leaf fans have right now in their and their criticism and skepticism over Kyle Dubas's process but uh they are who they are and they are comfortable with who they are and Amarov fits their process and for that reason, you just have to trust that this is a player that's eventually in two, three, or as soon as the end of 2021 20, uh, uh, is going to be a player that contributes to the top six and be as a guy that can help replenish what they are building, which is a team that is based solely on talent first. Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, I think them trying to trade the pick and then end up just taking their guy anyway. I mean, they they liked him. They, they had an idea of who they wanted and they t- took him and the the consensus was that essentially he was the best player available at at that spot I mean he it it doesn't that's the thing like there's so many people who want to say that you know you can draft for a need and a lot of people forget the draft like you're not going to get a player of immediate impact at 15th overall maybe at one and two maybe but we how many times have we seen a third overall pick jump into the NHL you know and third overall pick and down jump right into the NHL you're not so you take a guy who you really love. They clearly had some had some great insight on him. They're very tight with his with his agent, and they have one of the best international scouts in uh, Jim Palafito, who who has seen this guy. And as well, he's he's playing games right now. You're able to have that instant reaction and realize, oh, he's he's and chart his trajectory in real time before this. This is a very unique experience in any draft. And they got him, and I, I like it. I thought it was a really good pick, and and ignoring what they needed. I mean just take the best player available. And it seemed like he was. Speaking of Milstein, he is so ingrained, it seems, with what the Leafs are doing right now. I had someone message me or DM me saying that he's going to be named their assistant GM next week. And I completely bought on it, bought that idea because I thought, well, clearly, like, there's there's something going on here. Like, they are so the, – the working partnership is there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if they're, if they're able to get, you know, all these picks to come and all these free agents to come, and maybe Ilya Mikheyev on a shortened deal, why not give Dan Milstead a little bit of scratch? I think he deserves it for being basically the guy who's, you know, set up this pipeline from Russia to the Maple Leafs. It is interesting how that has all worked out. Now, the second pick to the Leafs was a Finnish 
uh, forward, Ronnie Hervonen, uh, second round, 59th overall. Uh, this got everyone going because, you know, he's tiny. It's another small, skilled forward. 16 points in 52 games last year, obviously playing in Finland's top division. Uh, another guy who's going to be playing and seems to have a good start to his year already. Um, but yeah, it got, you know, the, who we were talking about before, all these guys and all these fans who really want uh, the Leafs to open their eyes to different things. Uh, but this was basically a slap in the face to those people because yep. this was doubling down on the Amarov pick with another player who's considered uh, a skilled first guy that has, you know, maybe middle six potential and is going to take a while to get here. But it's a guy who has a significant talent base to which to work from. Yeah, you see, this, is his, this was the leafiest pick of all time. This was exactly who they want. He's also very, very cool. Um, uh, what's it called? Story of how he found out he was, he was drafted is that he was playing while he got drafted uh, for Liga. And they showed it on the, I think it was in, in the third period at a stoppage in play. They showed it on the Jumbotron in the middle of his game that, oh, Ravon just got drafted by the Leafs. And that's how he found out. That's very right. cool. Um, a lot of people had him as like a borderline borderline top like first round pick like a guy who who was I mean Scott Wheeler for example had him at 30 on his final draft board and they were able to get him at 59th overall um he's look I'm a little worried that he's projected as I mean you're not going to get like first round guys or whatever it, I, I get it in the second round like you everyone has to be kind of has to hold their you know hold their expectations on these guys but talking about like a middle six guy um, that worries me a little bit but the Leafs again they have the most they, they have one of the best developmental systems in the entire NHL. I mean, we've seen it, uh, you know, covering the Marley specifically, I've seen it firsthand where just the, the, the attention to detail and the amount of resources and the amount of coaches specifically that you have to work with these guys is immense. So when we see an initial draft report from these guys, um, we can't just take it at face value. Uh, we have to kind of see it, how he's going to project. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's a fine pick. Like he's, the skilled center. I don't care about the size again. He like, you know, everyone, all your uncle seems to love Mitch Marner a lot and he's tiny. So uh, this guy seems to be a great playmaker. Um, and uh, he's, he's producing pretty well in a, you know, in a men's league again. And they're picking these guys as much as it might be a, a COVID thing, a COVID centric thing. They're picking these guys who are playing against grown men from a very young age. And although it's on a different size ice surface, that changes how you, that changes your development. That changes how ready you are to come over here it's, it's different when you're 18 and you're playing against you know 29 30 year olds and you're facing 29 30 year old body checks and 29 30 year old decision making regardless of you know yeah we're, we're essentially regardless of, of, of i guess the actual skill set of the game it makes you more ready to come over to a professional organization like leafs and play a professional game potentially for the marley's first before you go up than it would be when you're playing against a 16 year old in flint so it's it's completely different and i think that the fact that they're getting these guys who are producing well this young in European leagues and they're, they're playing right now and they're able and they're not getting impacted by any of these stoppages. That's great. And Hervonen with all of his skills, with all of his playmaking, I mean, he, he's listed as an elite guy on the half wall on the power play. Yeah. I, I think it's a great, I think it's a, it's a great deal and to get or a great pick and to get him at 59th overall when, you know, some of the, the most, uh, I would say vaunted scouts and get people who actually really pay attention to this instead of us who just kind of dip in every once in a while around draft time, Sit, having him ranked at the end of the first round and getting a 59th overall, that's incredible value. So they definitely maximize that. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Herbonen, like Amrov and like Nick Robert, 
Robertson before him. Uh, this is a player, as I've read, because I, again, I haven't seen much of Ronnie yes. Hervonen, uh, but he doesn't rely on a single asset and has a lot of dimensions to his game. And I think mm. what they're trying to do is draft those quality forwards who have a little bit more development ahead of them. And Nick Robertson is the perfect example of that because he was not, he was of the, the same sort of, uh, or cut from the same cloth, I guess, as these two. And then he responded the next season by leading the Ontario Hockey League in goals. I think they're, they're, go- they're going after guys who have a little bit more development to ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And I think because they play in Europe, that development maybe is a little bit behind. They don't have those eye-catching numbers. They're not the most important players on their team, but they're growing into that role. So I think that gives them a chance to actually do – that's their sort of market efficiency. They're going after guys – who might be a little bit underrated because they don't have those eye-catching numbers because they don't have the role just yet. Uh, as I mentioned, Herbone, haven't seen any of him, but haven't seen any of Topi Namella yet, the third-round 64th overall selection of defenseman. But I think this might be my favorite pick from just what I've read. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Leafs gushed about him, saying he has maybe the best uh, defensive sense in the draft among defensemen. Uh, and he's a guy that sounds exactly like a right-handed Rasmus Sandin. They say he thinks the game better than uh, most of the players in his class, and he has the mobility and takes care of the puck really, really well. Obviously, he fits an organizational need as a right-shot project with the Maple Leafs. Uh, This is one of the selections that got rave reviews uh, from analysts afterwards. And think about how much better the Leafs' defense would look if Rasmus Sandin shot right-handed. Think about how many problems that would solve. So if this Mm -hmm. guy can turn into something like that, Man, Bob's your uncle. That's fantastic. Um, you were so you were in the Zoom call at the end uh, of the draft. So yeah, you you like this is that's your interpretation is that the Leafs were gushing about this guy potentially more than any other pick. This is this is one. I mean, they were really high on Amarov, but they they spoke after they spoke about Amarov after the first round. They did two different uh, mm-hmm. Zoom sessions. Um, but the strongest sort of endorsement from uh, John Lilly, who I believe is the director of amateur scouting. Yeah. Uh, I might have to check that, but. Uh, this was the guy that seemed to make him light up the most, uh, if that means anything at all. Well, yeah. I mean, clearly, if, if, the, guy who, if, if the guy who makes the picks are, is that high on him, then absolutely. And again, another guy who was, late, who was kind of tabbed in, uh, you know, in the mid, it, it sort of like borderline first round, second round. I mean, Scott Wheeler, I'm pretty sure, had him a 33rd on his, uh, you know, on his final board. I'm, so I'm that, convinced Scott Wheeler's got, you know, like, the, he's bugged the late Maple Leafs war room because basically everyone that he wrote about, even outside the 100, was eventually taken by the Maple Leafs. Yeah, well, I mean, eventually, if you write if you write about enough players, they pick 12 guys. So I mean, like, how many? You're, you're bat. You're going to be batting the certain. Trying to trying to give him a little credit. Exactly. Yeah. Good for. I mean, he's he's <laughs> he knows everything about. It. He's the amount of of Tepe or Topi Nimelic tape that this guy has probably chewed is ridiculous. It's more than, than any of us have done for <clears throat> the NHL team, but. Yeah, I know. He's, look, he's a right shot defenseman. That's that already I was sold on that when I heard it. And uh, look, he's, he's putting up, again, he's putting up decent numbers in, a, you know, in a, in a league against grown men. Another, an, another uh, sort of trend here with the Leafs. They clearly have certain players that they want. They have this, and look, if you're going to, I'd much rather, there's, okay, sorry. I know there's a lot of, a lot of thoughts here. <clears throat> the criticism of the Leafs is that they have their, they have their sort of idea of a player and they want to draft them and they don't kind of look for, you know, size or whatever, but you know what, if you're going to go down with the ship, go down with the ship in the way that you want it to be. They clearly have that you want to, you, they clearly have 
what they think is the, the, their ideal archetype for a player. And they've really doubled down and tripled down on these guys. And it seems to look, the early return seems to be working. Yamela is, is a new age kind of defenseman. He's able to defend the rush. He's able to break up transition and he's also able to push the play and he's a right shot defenseman. Like, there you go. Boom. I think that, I think that this is going to max the fact that they have the infrastructure built on the Marley specifically with all these European guys is really going to be maximized because they don't have to worry about any right, you know, any agreements with the CHL or whatever, where they have to stay in junior for a year or two, you bring these guys over, you integrate them into the, in the organization right away. And as much as these are sort of longer term projects, they can, they can hit the ground running quicker than maybe other longer term projects could. Yeah, you mentioned going down with the ship. I don't even think it's going down with the ship. I think it's just that they just want to get as many good hockey players into the system as possible. And I think yeah. they believe that this is the quickest route to getting contributors, to identifying these certain talents and traits and attributes that are going to translate to the next level. That doesn't mean they're, they're going to you know, have their team just chock full of their own draft picks who are basically clones of each other. They're not clones of each other, but no. they're, they're very similar players. But what they're doing is assembling commodities. Once you assemble commodities, you can go out and you can, you know, develop them into, you can develop other skills, but you can also trade them uh, and, and get different sort of uh, different, you know, guys who can do other things that can help you in different ways, but you can also, Go out in the free agency and get little, but get different, uh, you know, utility that way as well. So mm -hmm. if you're just focused on getting good players and adding them to your system, then you're building up your commodity base, and then you can use those commodities to fill you, out your team and trade to other teams to get what you need. So I think that's exactly what they're doing here. They're not trying to find a guy who's going to play you know, on their fourth line right wing in the fifth round, because the odds of identifying that guy at 18 years old is very slim. So let someone else develop that player and then trade for him. Once you've developed good, uh, like a assembly line of good players that fit the same mold. I think that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're not trying to be one dimensional. They're just trying to get as many good players into their system as possible. Yeah, you know, you know the, the, the saying, you know, shoot for the stars, and even if you miss, you might land on a cloud? Like, that's essentially what they're doing. Because if you – Frederick Gauthier, for example, they drafted for need there. They drafted this guy to be their third-line center, and he never hit that ceiling, and he was their fourth-line exactly. center and was a sort of a borderline guy. By taking these home-run swings, by drafting these guys who you hope can be, you know, top-line uh, top performers, and, you know, not all of them are going to hit their ceilings. That's just the way the draft works. But, you know, so not all of them are going to, you know, shoot for the stars. But they might land in the cloud. If you draft a guy, let's say Rodion Amarov, that, you know, they think he can be a first-line scoring winger. Yes, he doesn't hit that. He ends up being a second-line scoring winger. Well, that's fine. Great. You got a, you got a second-line scoring winger out of it. That's great. Or Namela, you know, he's, he's a projected, you know, top four, maybe even top two defenseman, you know, if everything, you know, shakes out right. But if he doesn't hit that, great. Then you got a top four defenseman or even a, you know, really solid bottom six guy so, or a bottom pairing guy. So I like that they're taking these swings. And it's not, and when I said going down with the ship, I didn't mean that they're going to be going down with the ship. I meant like, even if this doesn't work, you might as well go out on your own terms. And they have exactly the archetype that they want. And they seem to be doubling down on that. And it's worked out pretty well for them so far, whether they've used these players in, in roles that are helping the team right now you know, again, a guy like Nick Robertson, for example, just is, is a testament to that. Rasmus Sandin, testament to that. Or these guys haven't necessarily worked out, but they're able to, but they're good enough. They're able to use them as chips for trades. The whole reason why they were able to draft Rodion Amarov is because a guy who they drafted with, or the guy who they, I guess, acquired, but didn't draft, but acquired, 
in mm -hmm. Asbury Kapanen, he got them that. So it, he got them that pick and he didn't work out, but he fit that mold of what they wanted the player to be. So yeah, these, all, a lot of these guys aren't going to be playing, aren't going to be Maple Leafs, at least long-term. A lot of these guys won't even make the Maple Leafs at any point in their careers, but they bring to the table what the Leafs want and that gives them a better shot than any. And it gives them a better shot of contributing to the organization through either their, their standing as an asset or as their standing as a player. Captain is a perfect example because this is a player that obviously has plus attributes and some extraordinary talents that jump right out right off the page. It made him a first round draft selection mm -hmm. of the Pittsburgh Penguins and it made him the key return asset in the Phil Kessel deal. But his upside wasn't completely fulfilled. At least it wasn't with the Leafs. He hit a ceiling as a third line right winger. And mm -hmm. that's ex as far as he was going to go with the Maple Leafs. But his skill set meant more to another team. They were able to use that asset to trade back into the first round to get Rodion Amarov. And we'll see what happens with Amarov, obviously. More upside they're looking for was with their fourth selection. Uh, it was of the fourth round as well. 106th overall, Archer Aktamov. Not mm -hmm. sure if I'm saying that right, but he's a goaltender. He might not be Yaroslav Askarov, uh, but he's a Russian goaltending prospect with strong numbers, playing in the top levels of his native country. Uh, this isn't the biggest goaltender, so it sort of fills the Maple Leafs draft narrative, which is they're drafting undersized contributors. Um, but it's been a while since the Leafs have had elite, an elite goaltending prospect in the system. They might not have that yet, but maybe this is a guy who can grow into that with a couple more seasons of uh, seasoning in Russia. I Look, I really like this guy. I mean, he's not playing in the KHL right now. He's in the MHL, which is the their version of the AHL. A lot of HLs going on here. But he better is, that he is because he's play, getting playing time rather than sitting behind a veteran. Exactly. And he is – and what he's doing with that playing time is pretty friggin' fantastic. He had a 931 last year in 46 games. And this year, if I, if I am not mistaken, let me just pull up his elite prospects who have just been, you know – carrying this draft this year in in, uh, in three games in the mhl he's got a 926 and in four games in the vhl i'm assuming that they're just you know alternating between these leagues he's got a 957 so it's this guy has never posted a save percentage below 921 in any of his his um any of the the seasons that he's listed as playing like reputable hockey on elite prospects like he's this guy has just proven has just hit essentially hit with with production and I like, I, I've seen a little bit of how he plays. He seems like he's, you know, he's got a decent positional awareness. He's, he's able to make these some pretty, you know, difficult saves. Uh, but goaltending is, is such voodoo, but I love taking a swing on this guy. A lot of people say that this is kind of a right around where he was expected to get picked. And look, again, he's playing, eventually he will play in the KHL. And I think he's also a Milstein client. So he's got that familiarity there too, which hopefully we are will help. Exactly. We are gold star. New, uh, new assistant GM or new, I guess, mayor of Toronto. I don't know. He's, he's, he's coming. Whatever there. he wants. Whatever exactly. He wants. Seriously. Whatever he wants, apparently. Um, but he's, he's just, yeah. Like you said, the Leafs don't have an elite goaltending prospect in their system. The closest thing to that would be Joseph Wool, And he had a, he had a pretty rough first year in the AHL. Again, goaltending development isn't linear. So he might, you know, if there, if there is an AHL season next year, he might come out and absolutely dominate. Um, but they all, but they do need to stack their, their sort of ranks with these guys, Ian Scott, who had a great season the year before in the WHL, again, playing against teenagers, missed all of last season with the hip injury and Frederick Anderson, he's going out, he's going out soon. You know, he, he's probably, if, if by miracle he is, or if, if by any chance he's the starter for this year, he's definitely not going to be the starter 
for the season after. And Jack Campbell, yes, he's, he's great, but he's not a young prospect. He's 29, or 28, 29. So it's, they, they need to start filling their ranks with, with goaltenders. And I, from everything I've read about this guy, from everything I've, uh, the small sort of sample that I've seen from this guy, and even just looking at his production at these, at these pretty difficult levels in his native country, he's performed pretty well. So good on him, man. Like he, who knows what this guy could turn out to be. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but Kyle Dubas did say on both his availabilities that uh, Frederick Anderson will be the starter for Yeah, but what else is he going to say? What else? Is he going to say, is he going to just say, nah, Freddie's gone. That'll really help in, in both the locker room and in trade negotiations. Like, what yeah, else you know, it's possible, but he, he did say it sort of without prompting too. I mean, they were talking about what they were going to do and he's like, we feel comfortable in goal. We feel comfortable up front. Obviously what we're looking for is this and this. So, and uh, you know, it's possible. about it. it it's possible, obviously, that, uh, you know, something changes, but Kyle Dubas has at least shown his hand when something was going to happen. I could mm-hmm. go back to Nazem Kadri, where he didn't want to say for certain if Kadri was back, and within two or three weeks, he was, or two or three months, I guess, he was traded mm-hmm. uh, after that, that second loss to Boston. So it looks like Freddie Anderson's probably going to be the starter, but, you know, we'll, we'll save that for another discussion. Mm-hmm. I think we're done with breaking down the I individual prospects. Yeah, so let's reflect thing. on the entire draft. Sure. Uh, are we happy with the least drafted performance? Um, I usually don't like to make any grand judgments on, on what a team managed to do uh, because we don't know much about these prospects and what's going to happen. Obviously they're, you know, they have a clear, they have a clear agenda at these, at these uh, at drafts and, and what, what they're looking for with their prospects. And I commend them for that because it is, you have to stick with what you're doing. And if you listen to the outside world and what they're, telling you to do, you're probably going to make the mistakes because you are invested in something and you shouldn't deviate from that. Um, So I'm not going to knock them for that. They did manage to trade down and get some extra picks and still make what we believe the picks are that they wanted to make. Um, But I guess they didn't completely extract all the value they could out of that number 15 selection because it looks like they were trying to trade down because they wanted Amarov anyway. Um, But, you know, I guess the biggest criticism would be why didn't you use that pick? to help you right now because clearly they need a lot of help and that was probably their biggest asset or their biggest trade chip uh when looking about when looking at trying to improve the roster right now now it's it's easy to you know criticize them for that but maybe the deal just wasn't there i mean you're going to criticize them even more if they make a deal that's bad with the number 15 pick Mm -hmm. so i'm finding it difficult to actually criticize them for anything they did was it a perfect draft probably not um, could there be, maybe there were some opportunities lost perhaps, but I think you have to be pretty satisfied that this is a team that knows what it's want, what it wants, goes out and gets it and didn't really make a laughable error because more often than not, we see, we can detect errors immediately, but we can't detect wins immediately. And I don't think they made a huge error on draft day. The bar was set so low later in the round that any team who drafted someone who the analysts on Sportsnet knew, at least in the first round, knew of. That was because the Chinnikov, that I, I, want, I want to replay that, the reaction to the Chinnikov pick over and over and over. It was hilarious. The amount of paper rustling was nuts. But we have to also think that the climate and, and the, the sort of foundation of this draft was totally different. You're in a flat cap world. This is also being deemed the, this is also being deemed the deepest draft in recent memory. There is, you know, first round talent littered all throughout, you know, the later rounds. And, or first round talent and any other drafts from a comparable perspective. And as well with the flat cap, draft picks specifically potential contributors who could who could produce one day on elc contracts at an elc price those are incredibly valuable so you take the value of the draft itself and then the economic value as well and that first round pick 
is so valuable. And so unless the Leafs were getting exactly the player that they needed to slot into that, to slot into their defense and help them right away, they weren't going to trade the 15th overall pick for nothing. They weren't going to trade the 15th overall pick for, you know, a Casper Kapanen type like the Penguins did, which I still cannot believe they actually did in the first place. Um, so I think that, I think holding on to that pick and look, if they weren't able to trade down, they weren't able to trade down. But a lot of people listed Amarov as you know, one of the best players left available. The Leafs might've thought they could get him later, but they, they seem to just maximize that. And I'm really, I'm really high on him. I love the comparables to Kucherov. I know he might not actually hit that, but look, he's, he's signed to the same agency that seems to have a really good relationship with this organization. He's performing really well against grown men, which has accelerated his development. And he's playing in a league that isn't going to get interrupted by anything or that will be able to have, you know, physical contact this year. So he's, so his development will not get stagnated and the Leafs have a recent sample size to draw on as well when they're drafting him. So I think that, look, at least in the first, as the first rounds, as the first round goes, they did a great job Um, moving forward. I mean, everything else becomes sort of more of a lottery, but again, like you said, they have their own, they have their template of guys that they want. And especially in the, in those middle rounds of second and, and the second and third round, they seem to, to really get a ton of value out of those picks that they might have, you know, if, if every team had kind of listened to a lot of these scouts, would have gone, you know, right at the end of the first round, early second. So I think they did a great job. And, and there was, it seemed like the trade, the trade market was pretty, as, as a lot of, as that one agent, I think, gave to Pierre, or said to Pierre Lebrun, constipated, the trade market clearly was blocked up. And so there weren't going to be, you weren't going to find that fit. And even the trades that did happen, two of them were huge swings and misses for, for uh both of them, I guess, were huge swings and misses for, for teams that seem to be moving out the most valuable asset. So I, I think that they did a great job with, with uh, sort of with exactly what they had. And they'll be able to sort of add and pack in those, those sort of ancillary spots on the roster in free agency because a lot of people aren't getting qualified. And there are so many deep, like really high quality players who are young now who are out on the free agent market that they could really target. I think it was, I think it was great. And I think that the, the idea that anyone they would have picked in this draft was going to help their roster right away. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. So you needed people needed to look at this draft in a different perspective. This wasn't. This isn't free agency. It wasn't going to bring you immediate help. This is to stock the cupboards moving forward. And I think to do that, they swung. And we'll see how much they hit. But I think they did a really good job. The Leafs denied that they, you know, preferred players that were not having their seasons interrupted by COVID that were going to be playing. Uh, through this pandemic without any, you know, interruption with, you know, the WHL and OHL not having their seasons, but I don't believe it. I think that was pretty, uh, and and as much as, you know, maybe they didn't, you know, go out and get them uh, deliberately each time. Like they didn't pass over someone because they thought, Hey, you know, the flip the difference between these two players is that one is actually going to be playing, but they created a big board and I think that went into it. I think they were more comfortable when creating their big board with players that weren't going to have their seasons interrupted by this COVID-19 pandemic. And, uh, and that clearly, uh, you know, painted the picture for their draft because they went with a lot of Russians, a lot of Finnish players and a lot of players that are playing against men and have a lot of development to do. So I think that's an easy way to sort of tie up what their agenda was at the draft and now they look forward to free agency, uh, which became a little bit more interesting, as you sort of alluded to, by the fact that all these qualifying offers didn't go out. And let's begin, I guess, with the Leafs' lack of qualifying offers, I guess, that they extended to the players for the restricted free agents on their roster. Freddie Gauthier, Evan Rodriguez, Jeremy Bratko, and Max Verono. Uh, I think we should 
you know, we've talked about Gauthier a little bit. I think we should probably center the conversation around him, but I guess Bracco as well. Um, do you have any hot takes on Gauthier and Bracco? Uh, and if you want to lead with Rodriguez or Verona as well, uh, go for it. I have nothing to say about Verona. I mean, it, like he's not the story here. Um, look, Gauthier, he was never – it was unfair of the Leafs to pick him in the first round. It was unfair for the Leafs to do what they did to him because he was a second- to third-round talent, and they picked him to play a specific skill, a specific role or specific role that they should – that, you know, no one should, should do in their drafting strategy, and he didn't work out. He's, he, the fact that he made it to the NHL is a miracle testament to, um, to Barb Underhill and also Gauthier's willingness to work. He's dealt Barb, with Barb Underhill is going to be busy, by the way. Oh. A lot of not a lot of uh, the, the common knock on the guys that the Leafs actually did take in the first two, three, four rounds are guys that have trouble getting around. So Barb Underhill is going to have a work cut up for. Her. But that's why you pick those guys. If they have great skill sets, but they're they're lacking in skating, some teams might be okay. We we pass on those guys. But if you have yep. the best at what <laughs> the best at improving that skill on your under your employ. Go for it, man. Why not? Development. Development is very important. It's exactly. something that should not be overlooked. Look, Gautier, he's... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword that he's a teddy bear. He seems like the nicest person on the planet. I talked to him for, you know, I covered him for a season on the Marlies. He was the nicest person on the planet. Always always loved to talk. He was always, always had a smile on his face, accepted any role that was given his way. Um, at the same time, he was in a, in a, on a team that needs its lower, its lower line players to give them something in the physical realm of things. Um, he was kind of big for nothing, Like he was six foot five and that earned him a spot in a Mike Babcock roster, but it just didn't work anywhere else. And I'm, and look, as much as, as people criticize Dubas for having his guys, Gauthier seemed to be a, his guy. Gauthier seemed to be a Keith guy too. You know, he played under Keith all the time and Keith kept using him and kept inserting him in lineups and inserted him in a lineup over Pierre Engvall to start a playoff series, which was a big deal. Um, but he just didn't work out. And, uh, and he didn't give the least what they needed. And another team is going to think that they can, you know, get the, get the dragon out of them or get, you know, find, find the anger in Gauthier. And they're not going to, it's not going to work. And he'll be, you know, a decent tweener to fourth line player on another team, or perhaps he comes back and, you know, kind of plays that tweener role on the Leafs, but they, they're pretty up against the cap. I don't even know if they can afford to have an extra spare guy. Um, Bracco on the I mean, yeah, go for it. I was just going to say, he could be the Marty Marincin next year where he's basically <sighs> not going to cost you anything. 14th, 15th forward, mainly with the Marlies. He can still, you know, hang out in Trinity Bellwoods and with his dog and everything will be great. 
We don't need any more Martin Marincins. He is the forward version of Martin Marincins. If he's a regular in your lineup, you've gone too far. Like it's, but he's not, a, if, you know, 14, 15 forward, just Marley's mostly. But there's yeah, no point in having him in the Marley's. Use them. It's, yeah, and there's, there's no, no point. point. Yeah. And there's no point in having Freddie Gauthier back. There's exactly. Bracco, on the other hand, I hate to see wasted talent. That is my least favorite thing in the world, is wasted potential. This guy had all the potential in the world to be at least a very good player. Maybe not a star, but he is legitimately, other than Mitch Marner, the best passer in, in the organization. He led the AHL in assists a year ago as a 22-year-old. And yet, here we are a year later, and he's not getting a qualifying offer. This extends, this, this is a testament to A, how his season went um, the last, uh, this past season, which was, uh, you know, anything else aside, which was, which was just a stagnant, stagnacity, I guess, uh, whatever. He was very stagnant in, in his ability to refine his game. He, ha- he can do one thing, and that's pass the puck, specifically on the half wall, and that's about it. He can't shoot. He doesn't defend very well. He doesn't skate very well. He's got a weird skating stance, which can help in lateral movement, but that's about it. And look, I don't want to call any players' attitudes into question because, you know, we don't know what's going on. But I covered Bracco for two years. And the guy was a second-round pick, and the Leafs, people forget, brought him into the organization uh, um, while he was still in junior. They, they, they brought him in, I think it was in the middle of the season, he had like a week off or something, and they brought him in for him to see how, an, how a pro organization worked, how a, you know, what pro guys do. He was practicing with the team for a bit. He was traveling with the team for a bit. He was just to kind of indoctrinate him into the pro life. And that didn't rub off on him. He showed up to his first Marley's training camp severely out of shape to the point where they essentially demoted him right away and scratched him for, I think it was two or for seven of the the team's first nine games and scratched him a lot during that year. And then also scratched him except for, for two games all throughout their Calder cup run. He didn't play a part in that Calder cup run. And so he just, he didn't work. And it's such a shame because he had all the tools in the world to do it. He had all the resources in the world to do it with the Leafs. I saw firsthand how much they were pumping into him and how how many chances they gave him and how much of a rope they gave him and how much of a role they gave him. Sheldon Keefe at the end of the, uh, their Calder cup run when Bracco was celebrating, but he didn't get a chance to play. He was a black ace. Keefe told him specifically, look, next year, this is going to be your team. And he did. And that, that ended up happening. Bracco ended up finishing, I think it was second in the AHL in points and first in assists. But then he didn't, you have to take another step. And when, especially when you're, when you're under the sort of the landfill of, or, or in, of the, uh, the Leafs' right side, you need to be able to do something. You need to be able to offer something else. And he just never was able to do that. And the combination of him kind of not working uh, to start his career, come, showing up really out of shape, and that really, that really, really sort of negative first impression as a professional, and then everything else that kind of culminated in that, I mean, it, he wasn't going to get qualified anyway, but it is just a, it's, it's a shocking thing to see a guy with the tools he had, with the draft pedigree that he had, um, just not, not even get a qualifying offer on a second contract. And a bit of a cautionary tale, too. I mean, you can't just – you can't apply this logic or this uh, – what happened in 2015 to what might happen in 2020. Uh, but they clearly coveted Jeremy Bracco back in 2015. They had every reason, yeah they did but they traded down and passed on a guy like Travis Konecny I think that's where they traded out of went and got Travis Dermott and Jeremy Bracco Bracco is obviously not with the organization anymore and there's concerns about what Travis Dermott is doing from a developmental standpoint so I mean that's that shouldn't be applied to the logic of trading down and going after the guys that you Mm -hmm. have coveted on your big board 
Um, but it's just a, something to think about, I guess, uh, as the Leafs complete another draft and move forward with what's going to be a different, a different uh, or at least a new look fourth line with Freddie Gauthier not there. Um, but Evan Rodriguez won't be there either, I guess. Uh, I don't think they were ever going to give him a qualifying offer they, because they it was just too much money. Uh, but they weren't able to come to uh, an agreement on a deal uh, to have him out of that fourth line. Uh, I don't really know. I don't really know what that means. I don't think they're missing out on anything necessarily with Rodriguez. I think all it means is that they're going to turn over this fourth line uh, significantly, significantly beyond Jason Spezza uh, and go after some free agents here. And I think we're going to get into the free agents a little bit, but the fact that they're moving on from Gauthier, Rodriguez, Bracco, and Verono, I don't think it really means anything. I think they're going to go after more impactful players than those four who don't really have a place with either the Marlies or the Maple Leafs. Yeah, like I'm really interested to see where guys like Bracco and Goche, specifically Bracco, I'm, I'm really interested to see where he lands because they clearly the, the organization needed a fresh start for him. They were kind of tired of giving him leeway and, and not be sort of uh, rewarded for that. But he is a skilled guy. He looks right now to be a quadruple A guy, but I'm wondering if another team who maybe is, is, is worse and can actually play him in a top six role in a pinch, um, maybe a Detroit or something. You know, Dimitri Timoshov was logging regular NHL minutes there last year, so who knows? Anything's possible. Um, can maybe give him a shot. But, yeah, is, is it for sure that Rodriguez is not going to come back? Because, yes, he, like, you know, free agency is going to open, but, they, but they've, been willing, they've been wanting to sort of work out a deal. Maybe if he doesn't get what he wants in the open market, he can come back and he's a local guy, right? I, I mean, I guess it's possible, but I also think he's part of that sort of wave of guys who are not receiving qualifying offers that made him maybe a little less desirable because there's just simply a lot more guys out there right now. And I think we can get into the free agency yeah. discussion a yeah. little bit now because basically the unrestricted free agent pool is almost doubled with all these, un all these restricted free agents that aren't going to get any contracts or at least aren't going to get contracts um, at the maximum value at they, what they would be if they had given a qualifying or they accepted a qualifying offer. So let's just open it up. Let's just open up the floor. I'll open it up to you, obviously. Who do you think the Leafs should target in free agency? No one is too unimportant or too, you know, ambitious, I'll say. How well, about it? Obviously, you know, <laughs> Alex Petrangelo would be my number one guy. A lot of people are kind of off that train now, but I still think he kind of solves all their problems. But if we're talking about like sort of more, more in the weeds, not, not sort of a high impact guys, there are two. One for me specifically, Troy Stetcher. I can't believe he didn't get qualified and he is now a UFA. He can sign anywhere. And I think that that guy, I'm really high on him. He's the right shooting guy. He's a puck moving guy. Um, you know, he's, he's exactly the right-handed shot that you kind of need in, in the lower, I would say the, the lower echelon of your, of your uh, uh, blue line. Like he's not going to, I don't think he can be a top four guy at least right now, but he's young ish. He, uh, you know, he can move the puck. He can defend. He's a little, I would say he's a step above Justin Hall who could, who it would help a lot if uh, essentially Hall was on that third pairing or potentially if, if Stetcher was on that third pairing and Hall and the Hall and Muzzin pairing was able to, to, you know, stay together barring an injury. I love him. And also Vinny Henestrosia, you know, he's kind of bounced around a lot, but he's just been a solid point producer he, he's got really, really good um, underlying numbers. And he, I, I really like him. Like, I think that, I think that he, these are two guys you can kind of plug in on a third or fourth line. Uh, or, sorry, not, obviously not Stetcher because he's defenseman, but Hinnestrosa specifically, third or fourth third line. Looking, on him, looking at him lower in the lineup, that'd be great. Um, another one, and we don't know how much is, this is kind of being hinted at, and we don't know how much he's going to cost. 
We don't know anything, but Patrick Maroon, obviously, that'd be a great guy. But we have to remember as well, Maroon doesn't produce offensively in the, in the regular season. Like he's, he's not a big point getter. And so, if, and at this point, he's been underpaid so much that he's obviously going to want to cash in. And I don't think the Leafs can afford to give this guy maybe what another dumber team might actually give him for the, for the production that he brings. He's, exact, he's what they need from a on-paper standpoint. He's a big guy. He's, he's got winning pedigree. You know, he's kind of got a, he's still got a chip on his shoulder, so he's not unmotivated. Um, he's, he wants to show that he can prove that he's, you know, he can belong and earn this kind of, this kind of contract that he hasn't been given so long uh, or for so long. But at the same time, he had, I think it was uh, uh, 23 points last year, nine goals. And if this guy's been making $2 million and above, you just can't afford to have that guy on the third or fourth line making that much money as the team is constructed right now. So that's a bit of a shame. Um, but yeah, there, there's so, the thing is, there's so many guys available. Like, I'm just going down the list right now. And I, I am sort of, my mind is just, is, is unraveling. Like, TJ Brody would be great. Although he shoots left, he's playing the right side. And I think you can get him at a decent, at a decent clip. Um, yeah, they're just... Like I said, Troy Stetcher, he's 17 points in 69 games last year, 15 minutes a night, money in the bank there, see how much he gets. There's so many options. Tomorrow is going to be – everyone was hyping up the draft as being this, as the big event that everyone is going to be – you know, everyone's going to see the Leafs add. No, free agency is going to be nuts. I feel like they're going to be potentially the most active team out there. I agree with you on Troy Stetcher. Uh, it would be interesting. A Stetcher-Sandine third pair, and you're That'd paying cool, Stetcher right? the same amount – as Travis Dermott would make, and he is used as a trade chip. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that would be an easy way to sort of optimize your roster uh, and give yourself a chance to make that big splash with the top pairing defenseman. Uh, Chris Tanev would be interesting for that. I, I do think he's a guy who could be, uh, you know, a serious upgrade on Ron Hainsey, but do the Ron Hainsey things for Morgan Riley. Uh, being that guy, obviously, he had some success with Quinn Hughes. Uh, so I think ultimately Tanev would be too expensive, but Stetcher can definitely be an option and injury prone. Um, I, like I like Pitastroza as well, but my guy, my guy is guy? no such. Yes, I saw uh, you tweet him right before we started recording. Okay, give me yeah, – Yeah, I mean, he's my guy. I mean, that no fourth such. line for the Vegas Golden Knights, um, very, very effective, can, you know, can control the run of play, have an impact. And it's not – it's Ryan Reeves gets all the intention, but it's not all Ryan Reeves. It's a lot of William Carrier, and it's a lot of Thomas Nosek when he's in the lineup. He's not, he wasn't a mainstay for them, and that's why I think he might be gettable and not for, a, you know, a crazy price. But I think he's a guy who could give that sort of crash element to the fourth line and still be uh, a positive influence uh, in terms of the run and play. And being a guy who can actually chip in offensively, I think he could maybe – get on the end of some Jason Spezza rushes and, and provide a little bit of offense as well for a cheap price. They're going to have to find guys that are cheap. And I think if you could get him for $1 million, he'd be a good add and a serious upgrade on Freddie Goche. Um, you know, obviously being the guy who could actually use his body and be physical. I think Drake Kajula might be worth looking mm -hmm. at yeah. for the fourth line. Uh, there are other guys like Corey Perry and Michael Grabner who are going to cost a little bit more, but maybe uh, are worth looking at. Matt Nieto might be worth looking at. And Radko Gudis, I mean, we've been talking about him for a oh, while. Maybe not you and me specifically, but even... Leaf fans have been talking about Radko Gudis. And I think he could be a guy uh, if, you know, he can't be Riley's partner, but maybe he could be, you know, playing in that stature role that we outlined earlier as the, the third pairing on the right side. Uh, those are the guys that 
you know, ca- captured my attention when I went through the list today. Yeah, I, I only, I don't even consider Gudis as a free agent anymore. I consider him a Leaf because everything that we've heard is exactly what he wants. And I feel like, you know what, you know when NBA free agency opens and you, you just know that Woj has essentially scheduled all these signings to be official. And so it looks, so he tweets like 27 times in 30 seconds. And you're like, how is this possible? That's going to be one of Elliot Friedman or Darren Dreger, whoever is breaking, like, all right, the lease was signed, Radko Gudis to a two-year, whatever, um, million-dollar contract, maybe three million, I don't know. He's, he's a good, I think he's exactly what they need in their lower depths. He can't be playing in your top four, though. So I, I, at this point in his career, so we'll see. But one guy who just became a, a UFA, I think it was uh, uh, yesterday, even that I totally skipped out on because he's now my, my, the apple of my eye is Dominic Cahoon, 24-year-old guy. He's a, he's a center, but he also can play both wings. The guy scored 31 points in 56 games last year, despite only averaging 13-17 in ice time. He's, I, this is, you need to sort of, and how much money is this guy really going to get on the open market? You know, it, it's, he wasn't qualified, and I think due to the glut of, of people available, I think that, you know, that might bring his asking price down. He's a guy who would never be hitting the, the open market if it wasn't for, you know, the flat cap and the lack of growth and the pandemic and everything. I think you need to strike with that iron's hot. Look, if, if they are going to trade Kerfoot, maybe he, make it, maybe he could be a worthwhile, um, you know, replacement or having him as a fourth line center, potentially, depending on what he makes. Be great. Um, a lot of these guys, though, we're looking at a lot of the old guys, like I would say Joe Thornton as a fourth line center. But again, you know, I, I, I would be on that train, but he has to take he has to take, you know, maybe a, a hair above Spezza, like a $1 million contract to potentially win a cup. And I don't know if he would take it. One thing, though, I know I'm kind of rambling here because there's so many options. But one thing here I want to ask you about, what about Kyle Turris? What would you do with him? Interesting. I have actually had someone message me saying they think at 1.5 he could be the third line center. Then you could move on from, uh, move on from Alex Kerfoot, obviously, or shift him to the wing. He's only I don't see it personally. I don't see it. I mean, I, I'm always worried about guys that are just taking that steep fall off the cliff with their careers. So it would be someone that I wouldn't have any confidence in, but it might be someone who could give you immense value on 1.5 million if he's in the right, right scenario. I just don't have enough of a read on him to confidently say that he should be the guy that they go out and get. Look, uh, they're, it's funny because they're both next to each other on the, um, and they produced at one point less in, re- in relatively similar circumstances. And they're both next to each other on the cap friendly um, free agency board here. But let's take a look like Derek Broussard last year. It looked like his career was going the Cal Turris route. He was on three teams in one season. He couldn't stick anywhere. It looked like he was hopeless. And the Islanders signed him to a, you know, a bargain bin contract and he ended up producing pretty well. Uh, and he ended up his season last year that everyone said was pretty well was actually under um, the point production, the, the points per game of uh, Kyle Turris. He had 32 points in 66 games. Turris last year in a down year that got him bought out, uh, he had 31 points in 62 games. So if, if, if Turris does want to accept a $1.5 million contract, or maybe even a one year, $2 million, depending on what you can do, and he can give you equivalent value to equivalent or even a little bit better than, than Alexander Kerfoot, then you've already made the team better right there. And yes, you know, uh, uh, people are saying he might not exactly give the least what they want, but we've seen, like, I know you're wary on guys who are, who are steep, you're having these steep kind of uh, falls downwards, but how much of Turris's decline was kind of skewed by his cap number? Because he had just signed that big contract extension and he was making big money on a Nashville team that needed him to score. But at least might not need him to score as much as, as you know, as, as Nashville did. They're not signing him to be a top of the line player. And if he can replicate 31 points in 62 games as a third line center, 
at a 1.5 million or 2 million clip, would that not be perfect value essentially for what they need? I'm just skeptical. All I'm right. Just skeptical. Uh, I mean, I don't have really much to add, but um, I, I do want to mention that I'm, I'm out on, uh, I, I think it does fall in this, this category. I'm out on tourists. I'm out on Thornton and I'm out on Maroon. Wow. I think Maroon. Well, everyone I brought to the table. Okay. Sounds good. I, I, I'm out on Maroon because like, the magic has to wear off at some point, right? Like, I, and how, how motivated is he going to be after another long year, a long summer to come back and have that same impact for the Maple Leafs? And he's definitely wants to make money this time around. I just feel like that combination, I don't think they're going to extract the most value from it. Getting Spezza, I kind of think that leaves Joe Thornton. That's kind of a little bit makes him a little bit redundant. I'm yeah. not sure where he fits. And I just think you need more utility with that fourth line. Mm -hmm. You've chosen to have one skill guy on there. He's got to be surrounded with some guys that give you a little bit of extra, make you hard to play against. That's what Kyle Dubas has been talking about. We're going to become a team that's much harder to play against. Jason Spezza is not a hard player to play against. Joe Thornton is not a hard player to play against anymore. He was when he was picking up 75 assists per season, but he's not doing that anymore. So I, I just feel like they need a little bit, they need some different elements. And I think Kyle Turris just is going to do a lot of what Alex Kerfoot could do or does do. A lower clip. Sure. If you, if you exchange them, maybe, but I, I just don't have the, the confidence anymore that Kyle, Kyle Turris is that guy. But if, not not to kind of sway your mind here because I don't think I'm going to be able to. No, but you can. You let, can. Let's say, Kyle, like, we're, we're thinking in, in kind of binary sense here. Like, let's say Kyle Turris, he, he replicates that season, 31 points in 62 games last year. At, let's, let's, be, let's be a little generous, 2 million. One year, 2 million. That gives you the opportunity to trade Kerfoot, and we're not even factoring in the return that a Kerfoot package or Kerfoot himself could get. Because not only are you kind of replicating that, that – value or that production at that same at a lower cap hit you're also then reaping the rewards of what he can bring you potentially another yeah. lower depth piece or another prospect or a pick or something i i i'm i'm, I'm now more i'm talking myself in more into the into the cal terrace uh, scenario here i do i do see the value in that because the, the leafs we're talking about free agency yeah and the leafs cannot flex their financial muscle in the free agent market. Yes, they can go out and pay for players. They can overpay for players, but that's not going to help them. So if you can get a guy like Turris who can do the same job, if he can do the same job as, as Alex Kerfoot, yes, you make that move. Are you going to find a trade partner for Alex Kerfoot? Probably. I think you probably could. Oh, yeah. You might not get a huge return, but you can probably find a way to do that. So if they can, if, if that's a way that they can save some money, then you can go for it. You got to go for it because they have to find every avenue to do so. But I think with free agency, they've got to go after guys that are going to be undervalued. And uh, I think well, I think I think, I think I think tourist does fit that mold. But I'm just not convinced he's the best way to spend the money in free agency. But if, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they they have to they have to bank on a lot of these these older over the hill guys, maybe name brand guys wanting to come Toronto, wanting to come to Toronto to win, and maybe taking the entirety of their of their you know, their, their contract and bonus up front and signing for, for, you know, kind of league men deals. They have to, or, yeah. or under, undervalued, they have to kind of bank on that. And that's why, that's where a guy like a Joe Thornton would come into the fold or, you know, somewhere like that, because you're not going to be able to go out and spend, you know, ticket price on these guys. You're not gonna be able to go out and, and, you know, in a normal year, like I'm looking at like Andreas Anathasi, for, for example, you're not gonna be able to get a guy like that because he's going to want, you know, somewhere around the 3 million that he would have gotten. He's going to, he's going to try to max out. 
Exactly. But a guy like Joe Thornton or even a guy like Patrick Maroon or even a guy like Wayne Simmons, for example, like we didn't even bring him up because, you know, I don't know how much, left, how much he has left in the tank, but Wayne Simmons at one mil for going back to Leafs, he's exactly what you want on, on your fourth line. Patrick Maroon at one mil, he's what you want on your fourth line. But at the same time, are they going to take those? Because you have to kind of bank on them selling the security of Toronto and the stability of Toronto as a city and as an organization over maybe going to, you know, Florida, for example, and, and getting 1.5 million over your listed price. So yeah. they, they really I have mean, to sell the organization. But one thing real quick is that I think that the bubble situation of all the teams playing in, in the, in the Leafs uh, building and being in their locker rooms for months and seeing firsthand the, the you know, the resources that they have around the amenities they have around, I think that might, that might do something to, to how their recruitment, because think about it, the Leafs have always been known for having top of the line stuff, but a lot of these guys who played in the playoffs, they a were knew, know what the city is like now because they've been here for, you know, they were there for two months or a month and a half or something. And also they play, they saw, they saw essentially what it was like to be a Leaf. They saw what it was like to, to be in the, in that locker room. They saw what it was like to have those amenities, have those resources, everything around them and how the, and they also got to see how those players were treated in the bubble, uh, which might happen again. I think that did, that did a bit of a sell job in showing just how top, top notch this organization is and what a benefit it would be to potentially being a leaf. I think that that adds some value and that might shave off, you know, half a million, some of these negotiations, something like that. Perhaps, perhaps it might. I mean, Simmons and Thornton, certainly they are better headlines, but mm-hmm. I take the 13th forward, the Vegas golden Knights over. Either. Okay. You're look, you, you have, you're like Dubas. You have your guys and I have a guy. uh, yeah. One of them. Uh, well, it, I mean, it's going to be fan- fascinating, whatever happens. I mean, because they got to do a lot. There's a lot out there. There's, you know, this is, you know, we just got off an unprecedented, unprecedented hockey summer. Mm-hmm. Now we have this unprecedented free agent season. Uh, let's go into the quick headlines that we have. We got to be quick with these before we wrap up the show. Uh, there were a couple trades, obviously, in and around the draft. Uh, Max Domi, Matt Murray, and Leas Anderson all going to different uh, organizations. Obviously, Josh Anderson being the return in the Max Domi deal. Uh, what do you think about that swap between Montreal and Columbus? Uh, what is Montreal thinking? Like, Josh Anderson, yes, he, you know, he's crash and bang. and can provide, you know, some offense when he's healthy. But he's come, he hasn't played since December. And even with that five- or six-month layoff that you had – in between the pause and the resume to, or the return to play, he still wasn't healthy enough to come back for the playoffs. He's coming off a yeah. one goal season. How, how is that? How is that worth Max Domi? Who's I would say I was, I was expecting it to be a one for one swap. And even then I would be like, ah, oh, that's a bit steep. Like, you know, Max Domi's got that name brand. He's, you know, everyone kind of thinks he's a better player than he really is. But then Montreal added that third rounder in there as well. They overpaid for a guy, for essentially a comparable guy who, yeah, when healthy can get, you can make you mean and make you tough, maybe chip in, you know, the 27 goals that he did before. But is he, but he's a physical guy who's coming off a devastating shoulder injury. How much is that going to change his game? I don't think that's great. And Domi, he signs a two year uh, extension worth 10.6 million, whatever, man, it's two years. There's, they clearly, it walks him right to UFA, but they clearly didn't want to like, you know, bank on him too hard. A lot of this seemed to be um, linked between, uh, the the degradation and relationship between Dobie, Domi and Julian, Claude Julian. Um, so maybe that was fueling this. I don't know. Either way, I think this is a, this is definitely a loss for Montreal. 
It certainly did feel it, but I kind of love the deal for Montreal. I'm what? a big jo- I'm a big Josh Anderson fan. I'm a huge Josh Anderson fan. If we give credit to the Maple Leafs for knowing who they are, we have to give credit to the Montreal Canadiens and their newfound approach. For knowing who they want to be, to- which is just to be miserable to play. Like their defense, it's you know, there's it's flawed in some in some ways for sure. I mean, they got some serious talent back there, uh, but they are doing things only one way, and that leaves you open for some, you know, accepting and presenting some limitations. But Josh Anderson, I think, is going to fit that team beautifully. I think he's going to be a guy who cha- who gives them that extra punch they need from the wings. They're building a really strong center base. They need some more punch. They are going to be a miserable team to play in the playoffs if they get there. That is a big if. But they're going to be a really tough team to score on. It's going to be a really tough team to play night in and night out. Uh, and I like that they've embraced this new style, which is to just be – Someone or a team that is trying to pummel everyone into submission, Josh Anderson, fits that for me. And I just don't think Max Domi had much of a future there. Yeah, you know, Josh Anderson's one goal is really going to fit well into Montreal's vaunted attack. They needed offense, and they added a guy. What, in 27 the year before? I mean, injuries happen. Injuries happen. He was playing through injuries. Okay, cool. Maybe maybe, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. Maybe there will be egg on my face. I don't think he's going to score 30 goals for them, and he probably will not match Domi's production. But Domi's going to be in a way better situation. Domi was playing on the fourth line for Montreal. Obviously, Anderson's going to probably be playing on the third line. He might get some second line duty. Actually, he probably will be playing in the middle six, whether it's second or third line. He's going to be playing with some good players. And if he's healthy, I think he's an X factor. He's a unicorn in this league. He's a different player. Not many players can do what Josh Anderson does. A lot of players can do what Max Domi does when he's limited the way he is. He's limited the way he is, though. They were never going to – like, they have too many top six guys now. Max Domi had just worn out his welcome. I think they got a, a, a real difference maker potentially in, in Anderson. Look, if Domi, if Domi, we're looking at this as winger for winger. If Domi ends up being a center long-term like they tried before, then this is even more of a loss in my eyes. Like this is a guy, if we're talking, if we're, if we're going to judge based off of production from not this year, but the year before, didn't Domi put up like a 70 point season that year? And if he can play center and, and produce decently, like, what what are you doing? It was, I, was just clearly, it wasn't going to happen anymore. I don't think. I just yeah, feel like the relationship that degraded. Yeah, it, that's yeah. what happened. I can't believe um, I asked for the bat for Max Domi there. I never want to do that again. Well, we we've chosen our sides on this one. Uh, I think we'll probably be in the same side for Matt Murray yeah. uh, being a good deal for the Ottawa Senators. I mean, absolutely. Uh, they had four second round picks. They gave up one to get a guy who's one season removed from a rock solid five-year start to his career. Obviously he got outperformed by Tristan Jari this past season, but uh, I have confidence that he can bounce back. And if you're the Ottawa Senators, you trade a second round pick, especially when you have four for a guy who has two Stanley cups to win his, to start his career and can be a plus goaltender. I mean, this shows, it basically demonstrates how cool a commodity starting goaltending is right now for a second round pick to get a guy of Murray's caliber. Uh, but I think this is a, you cannot argue with this move for Ottawa because they went out and got a really capable goaltender for a low price. And now they have the ability to negotiate with him. Does it mean they're going to, you know, hit a home run with the contract they signed with Murray? If they do sign a contract with Murray, uh, perhaps not. Um, but I love this move for the Senators who obviously need someone back there. Yeah, this is a huge move for the Senators. They got a 26-year-old two-time Stanley Cup winner to add to a, a team that is now all filled with young players. So, yeah, like this, that's great. That's exactly who you want in that position. I wrote about that earlier this week. And I, I, also, have a, like, I also have a piece coming out about the absolute unprecedentedly 
um, terrible streak that, that Jim Rutherford's on of stinkers because I don't care. I don't care, you know, what the market is for goaltenders. You need to get more than this for a two-time Stanley Cup winner who won both those Stanley Cups before he even lost his, or I think he won one of those Stanley Cups before he even lost his Calder eligibility. Yeah, he got outplayed last year, but I think there was, I think he was dealing with like a, a family matter or something during the season before too. Look, he's, he's a very, he's a exactly, he's a very solid piece to add to an Ottawa Senators team like this and to only get you know, a middle of the second round pick and then a prospect and then the, apparently the head coach of the Oakland Raiders, but also a, uh, in Jonathan Gruden, but a, um, or not Oakland, they're uh, Las Vegas now, mm. but to get sort of like a middling prospect, that's insane. This guy brought you two cups and yeah, it doesn't matter what the market's going to be to deal them out. Now at the same time for the, this has happened to the Leafs before where they go and they get an RFA goalie without negotiating a contract first and it's burned them. It burned them with Toskel and it burned them with Bernier. And right now Matt Murray could essentially ask for the world and the Ottawa Senators, they probably have to give it to him. The goaltending market makes it a bit different because they could just be all right. Well, we don't really give up anything of consequence. So just walk and we'll get a, a cheap guy. We'll get, you know, Anton Kudobin for the next two years and then reevaluate where we are moving forward. But I think he's a great pillar and I cannot believe that they got him again. Like, the, the lack of value that Jim Rutherford has managed to, to milk his even lack of assets that he had, the minimal assets that he had, just how little he's been able to milk from those, uh, little value he's been able to milk from those assets is, is staggering, a uh, swing and a miss. Uh, last one, and, I'll, and I think our producer will appreciate that. I don't have much to add because yes. we've run on pretty long. Uh, yeah. Leas Anderson to LA for a second round pick. Obviously, this is a top draft selection of the New York Rangers who they are cutting bait with. Uh, but when you're a team like the Rangers, who had so much fortune, an abundance of fortune, fall into your, into your lap recently, you can decide to make, uh, you know, cut bait on a mistake and move forward. They had a great draft, uh, and it doesn't diminish anything that they gave up a top pick uh, of a recent past for just a second rounder. Uh, the Rangers obviously rebuilding in a, in a brilliant fashion, and now LA has another guy to add to their prospect system, which is just uh, unbelievably deep right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll see what happens with that one, but I don't have really much to add. Yeah, I think it's the perfect, I, I think it's the perfect move for both teams. You know, uh, Lace Anderson was never going to fit in New York, even though he was, a, he was, a, I think what, seventh overall or something. He was, he was a top 10 pick. Top uh, 10, yeah. yeah. There was never, there was never going to be a future uh, with him in New York. And he fits the LA Kings timeline perfectly because they didn't really need a second round pick at, at this point. You know, it, they're, they're building, they are building for the future. They already have a great prospect pipeline. So that second round pick, you know, maybe he hits and, it, and it, he, he comes into the league, what, like five years from now? They, they, a have a ton of, they had a ton of draft selections. So exactly. They're, they're, they're good. They're bringing in a guy who might just need a change of scenery, who was good enough to be drafted top 10 at one point, and, he, and he's able to kind of step in right now. Like, he, it's, it's sort of accelerated. Even if he met, like, I think it's the perfect move for, for kind of both teams. The Rangers add some, some, future, some future value for a guy they were never going to use. The Kings add some uh, present value, I guess, for, for a pick that they were going to use and they might not ever see. So it works out great for both sides. And I think it's, it's a great landing spot for Anderson because he might actually get like a top six role in this organization. Two teams to watch out for, LA yeah. and, and, uh, and the New York Rangers building some significant momentum forward right now. Obviously, that's easy for a team like LA who's mm -hmm. hit the bottom, but the Rangers obviously with Lafreniere uh, and uh, I guess they got one of the defensemen that many people thought the Leafs should take in Braden Schneider in the system as well. Lafreniere, we're sure we're going to make, uh, is going to have a positive impact. 
maybe not Braden Schneider. But it was good to talk Leafs hockey with you again, Mike. It was it obviously, was. it was a few months because we shifted gears to the Stanley Cup final and the Lightning and Dallas Stars put on a great show. Uh, but we know where our bread is, bread is buttered and that's where the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we're going to have lots to talk about with the Maple Leafs as they embark on free agency, the draft in the rear view mirror. Uh, I can't wait. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.